The great day of the Lord is near, near and rapidly approaching. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown, and welcome back to the show for Season 2. Today we're starting a new chapter as we dive into the book of Zephaniah. For the next few episodes, we're going to be using our inductive study skills to understand the great message of this prophet. We're going to be opening our eyes to observe what he says, opening our minds to interpret or understand what he means, and then open our hearts to apply and obey what God says. Remember, the goal in all of this is not just to practice these study skills for academic purposes, but to know God better. That's what we're after. Deeper Bible study is not just dumping facts into our heads, but it's about filling our hearts with reverence and love for God. And so today, we're going to be introducing you to the book of Zephaniah. What is it about? What's its context? Who is Zephaniah? And we'll read it together. So I suppose we should start by explaining to our audience why we chose this obscure book of the Old Testament. Why did we choose Zephaniah, Jeff? Well, the easy answer is we spun a wheel on my app on my phone, and that was what came up. But I guess the more specific answer to that is that as we do these inductive study in action kind of series where we take a book and we work our way through that book trying to apply the inductive study method, We're trying to keep them relatively short. Maybe someday we'll get to an inductive study of Jeremiah, but today is not that day. We're trying to maybe just find shorter books, like we've done with Titus already. So we could think about that in those episodes we did in episodes 6 through 9, but we wanted to pick a different genre than the epistles, so we decided to pick a prophetic book. Again, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah immediately nixed out due to the fact that they're so long. So we chose a minor prophet, not minor as in it's forgettable or unimportant, but a minor just in the fact that it's shorter. So that left us with Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Joel, Malachi from our particular options that you and I were looking at. And again, we just spun a wheel and that's what came up. Yeah, and it just so happened that as we landed on Zephaniah, as we started reading through it and trying to understand what it's about, it's interesting that we didn't plan it this way, obviously, but Zephaniah ends up being like a, a great sample of what the other prophets are about. You see a lot of the similar themes, a lot of the similar style. And so Zephaniah, I think as we work through it, it's only three chapters. As we work through it, it's going to help us understand some of those bigger books like Jeremiah and Isaiah, because it's written in the same style. And if we can kind of grasp how Zephaniah works, it's going to help us understand some of those other books. So it just is neat how it ended up working out that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that just like we talked about in our whole story series, when we looked at the prophets in there, you see some similar things and and themes and structures to those books. But Zephaniah is going to be a great introduction to, you don't have to think about, here's the first 39 chapters of Isaiah and (laughs) listening how do each of these themes fit in. But you can just say, here's the first 17 or 18 verses of a book or something like that and say, here's how they help us to see some of those themes. So like you mentioned, we want to start out by talking about some context things as well, the who, the when, the what type of stuff. So when does this book take place? What's going on here as we're setting up and looking into the book of Zephaniah? 
Yeah, one of the really difficult things, at least for me, when you're studying the Old Testament books is trying to place them in their historical context, especially the minor prophets. You know, we read through the minor prophets and it's like, well, where does this, where do these things take place in Old Testament history? And so, you know, just kind of setting the stage for that helps us understand what's going on at the time of this writing. So the very first verse of Zephaniah gives us kind of a little bit of background information. It says, The word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So we're introduced to Zephaniah himself. Actually, his genealogy goes back four generations, which is interesting, all the way back to mm-hmm. Hezekiah. And there's some debate about this. Is this a descendant of the king Hezekiah, king of Judah? Is, is he of royal blood? We don't really know. It could be that Hezekiah was just a common name, but it's also unusual for a prophet to trace his genealogy back to four generations. He's the only prophet that does that. So it could be that he is of royal blood. And if that's true, then what you're going to see in this book is he's actually rebuking his extended family in this <laughs> mm-hmm. book. Um, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 8, he talks about the king's sons and how unfaithful they've been. And so that if he is of you know royal descent, he, he's rebuking people who he loves, people who are part of his family. Mm-hmm. So that shows maybe the courage of, of Zephaniah. Sure. But maybe the, the more important thing we need to understand about Zephaniah in his book is, is when he prophesied. He prophesied in the days of Josiah, king of Judah. Uh, Josiah was the last king of Judah that could ever be called good, the last good king. At this point in time, the northern kingdom has fallen to Assyria because of their unfaithfulness. And, and Josiah was not just a good king, but he was one of the very best kings that Israel or Judah ever had. We can read about him in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. He became king at a very early age. Mm-hmm. He sought the Lord early on. He initiated temple repairs and religious reforms after they found the book of the law in the temple as they were cleaning it out. We'll talk a little bit about what happened before Josiah, but Josiah was a really good king, and he, he preached the word of the Lord, and he in, inspired people to follow the word of the Lord, and he himself followed it himself. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of sets the stage for Josiah himself. But when you read through the book of Zephaniah, his message might actually surprise you. As you think about Josiah being a good king, the message of Zephaniah is that Judah's in trouble and judgment is coming because Judah is evil. And so there might be something of a disconnect in our minds between what we see happening with Josiah leading these reforms and Zephaniah saying, you're living in sin. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple ways to reconcile the disconnect. Perhaps Josiah had been influenced by Zephaniah's message. Perhaps he heard his preaching and his teaching. And so maybe that's why he is motivated to seek the Lord. But I think more likely it's that even when Josiah was doing all of these reforms, that corruption and ungodliness was still deeply embedded in the people and their leaders. Zephaniah's message is going to be very, very pointed at the leaders of Israel. Mm-hmm. And it seems that even in Josiah's day, the leaders were still worshiping idols. They're still unjust. 
Zephaniah preached at the same time as Jeremiah. And what we read in Jeremiah's book is that despite Josiah's best efforts, the people still didn't listen or change. Mm -hmm. For instance, in in Jeremiah 25, verses 3 and 4, this is in the time of Jehoiakim, a later king than Josiah, but it's still applicable to Josiah's day. Jeremiah says, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, twenty-three years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed. The Lord sent all his servants, the prophets, to you time and time again, but you have not obeyed or even paid attention. Wow. So even though Josiah is a great leader, he himself is seeking the Lord the people are still evil, and that's what Zephaniah is addressing in this book. And so what we see is that in the background, things are bad, and that raises the question, well, how did we get there? Like, Josiah's reforms, why did Josiah's reforms have to take place to begin with? How did we get to where we are with Zephaniah today? I think the easy answer for that is to look back to what happened right before Josiah. So the two kings before Josiah, Manasseh, and Ammon. In the book, The Minor Prophets by Jack Lewis, he says, The age of Josiah inherited a legacy of moral and religious degeneration from the days of Manasseh and Ammon. So I think that's how we see things got so bad. It's it's from the days of these two wicked kings. We might be familiar with King Manasseh, and particularly among the kings of Judah, among the worst, if not the worst, of the kings of Judah. We read about him in 2 Kings 21 and verse 2. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Thinking about, well, this isn't a whole story episode anymore, thinking about some of those big picture things, God is drawing upon some things about, remember a long time ago when I drove out the Canaanites? And remember why I drove out? Because of their sins and their wicked practices. They didn't hold me up as God and wouldn't serve and worship me. Manasseh is going back to those same type of things. He's worshiping those gods, those idols, doing the things the Canaanites did before they were driven out. And God has mentioned when he spoke through Moses in books like Deuteronomy, if you do that and behave like the people of the land who I'm driving out, I'm going to drive you out. And so already we're getting some pretty big forewarnings of a coming destruction and judgment that's going to be based on some of the things that Manasseh does. So following after the good king Hezekiah, who's just before Manasseh, Manasseh basically goes and undoes all of the good things that Hezekiah tried to change and do during his days. I just want to give five more verses from 2 Kings that give a snapshot of what the times and morals of the people of Judah was like during Manasseh's reign, and particularly with Manasseh himself. We see in 2 Kings chapter 21 and verse 3, He rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab the king of Israel had done and worship all the hosts of heaven and serve them. Man, if there's one king of Israel you don't want to be compared to, which is none of them, but if there's one in particular, it's definitely the most wicked king, Ahab, right? Right. So to say you're basically Judah's Ahab, that's not a great place or comparison to be. Let's look at some more. 2 Kings 21, verse 5 and verse 6. And Manasseh built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord, And he burned his son as an offering, and used fortune-telling and omens, and dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Child sacrifice. 
things like speaking to the dead through mediums and necromancers, throwaway verses that might seem like in the book of Leviticus or Exodus or other places in the old law, Manasseh is bringing those things in which are directly contrary to what the law says. In 2 Kings 21, verse 9, it says Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Again, thinking about the people of Canaan, the writer of the book of Kings is saying here, remember how bad and evil and wicked the, the Canaanites were before you drove them out? Manasseh has taken their bottom level and lowered it down even more. Man, that's, again, terrible stuff. Finally, here in 2 Kings 21, verse 16, you see, Manasseh shed very innocent blood till he filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Beside the sin that he made Judah to sin, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. God regularly sent prophets because of Manasseh's abominations to speak against them, saying, maybe the people will repent, will turn back to me. Rather than putting idols in the courts of my temple, maybe you'll remove those idols and come back to worship me. You can read more about some of that in 2 Kings 21, verse 10 through verse 15. But ultimately, we see some of the things those prophets said in that time as well as calls to repentance was, because of Manasseh's abominations, disaster is coming upon Jerusalem and Judah. And when we look at Manasseh's son, Ammon, he was no better. 2 Kings 21, verse 20 says, He did what was evil on the side of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done. So rather than he rehash it all, just basically all the things Manasseh did for another two more years, Ammon's doing the same thing. So for about 57 years, God's people would descend deeper and deeper into idolatry and pagan practices. Again, the same things for which God punished and drove out the Canaanites from the Promised Land under the leadership of Moses and Joshua, and the same thing which led the northern kingdom of Israel to be taken away into Assyrian captivity. So it's only a matter of time looking at the reigns of Manasseh and Ammon before we're going to expect some type of judgment to come. Now, if only the prophets could help us to see and key into, maybe even Zephaniah himself, had a way for help us to see and look at these time of judgment as they approach, these times of great desolation or wicked or abomination or judgment. How might we see those being described in the prophetic books? So in Zephaniah, there's one phrase that we see very often to describe that kind of a judgment, and it's this phrase, the day of the Lord. And just quickly mention this, because we'll talk more about this as we get into the actual text, but this is a major theme in the book, that the day is coming, or sometimes that day, it's, it's called. And that phrase is found, I counted 17 times, maybe I missed a few times, but in the short book, it's only three chapters, you know, 17 times God says, the day is coming. And so in just a minute, we're going to read and listen for that emphasis. What does that day look like? How is that day described? Is it a day of, of light or darkness? Is it going to bring happy times or times of sadness and grief? How is it going to affect people and what does it mean? And so having kind of set the stage for when Zephaniah prophesied and what his basic message is, I, I think what we're going to see as we read through it as there's no turning the ship around now. I mean, for all the good that Josiah is doing, trying to inspire these reforms and cleanse the temple and get people to worship the Lord and Him only, the, the sin that the people have committed is so deeply embedded in their lives and in their hearts that there's really no way of going back. Judgment is going to come because that's the reality of sin. I mean, we've seen the characteristic of God to be slow to anger. And for hundreds of years, he's watched his people depart from him. You could think even from the time of Solomon. So at this point, we're talking about 
maybe 350, 400 years, people have been getting closer and closer to this point. It's not like that Manasseh did one bad thing and God's like, I'm done. It's for decades, for generations, we've seen people leaving God, departing from him. And so God says, it's time. Judgment is going to be coming. And we definitely see some of that, like you mentioned, with phrases like the day of the Lord here in the book of Zephaniah. So at this time, I've got the text of Zephaniah pulled up for us. We're going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, just as a aside about why we're doing that. I'm most familiar with the English Standard Version. I think, Emerson, you mostly use the New American Standard Bible. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to pick a translation that we're not quite as familiar with to help us to maybe not just get caught into the mundane, even though if we're both honest, Zephaniah is a book that neither of us are great scholars in or even new territory. It's definitely new territory for me. I did have a chance to teach this book for a few weeks about two years ago, but a lot of things change in two years, so some of that has leaked out of my mind. So we're going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, I'm going to be looking at Zephaniah. We're reading all three chapters at this time. So if you've got a Christian Standard Bible, you can follow along there. You can pull it up on your phone or your app. Or if you're driving or something like that, you need to make sure you're paying attention to what you're doing. But just listen along. This is the book of Zephaniah from the Christian Standard Bible. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I will sweep away people and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, and the ruins along with the wicked. And I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the residents of Jerusalem, I will cut off every vestige of Baal from this place. The names of the pagan priests along with the priests, those who bow and worship on the rooftops to the stars in the sky, those who bow and pledge loyalty to the Lord, but also pledge loyalty to Milcom, those who turn back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or require of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Indeed, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guest. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials, the king's sons, and all who are dressed in foreign clothing. On that day, I will punish all who skip over the threshold, who fill their master's house with violence and deceit. On that day, this is the Lord's declaration, there will be an outcry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second district, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you residents of the hollow, for all the merchants will be silenced. All those loaded with silver will be cut off. And at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, The Lord will not do good or evil. Their wealth will become plunder, and their houses a ruin. They will build houses, but never live in them. Plant vineyards, but never drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and rapidly approaching. Listen, the day of the Lord, then the warrior's cry is bitter. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the high corner towers. I will bring distress on mankind 
and they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Their silver and their gold will be unable to rescue them on the day of the Lord's wrath. The whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete, yes, a horrifying end on all the inhabitants of the earth. Gather yourselves together, gather together, undesirable nation, before the decrees take effect, and the day passes like chaff, before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you, before the day of the Lord's anger overtakes you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who carry out what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza will be abandoned, and Ashkelon will become a ruin. Ashtar will be driven out at noon, and Ekron will be uprooted. Woe, inhabitants of the seacoast, nation of the Cherethites! The word of the Lord is against you, Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you until there is no one left. The seacoast will become pasture lands with caves for shepherds and pens for sheep. The coastlands will belong to the remnant of the house of Judah. They will find pasture there. They will lie down in the evening among the houses of Ashkelon, for the Lord their God will return to them and restore their fortunes. I have heard the taunting of Moab and the insults of the Ammonites, who have taunted my people and threatened their territory. Therefore, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, the God of Israel. Moab will be like Sodom, and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place overgrown with weeds, a salt pit, a perpetual wasteland. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The remainder of my nation will dispossess them. This is what they get for their pride, because they have taunted and acted arrogantly against the people of the Lord of armies. The Lord will be terrifying to them when he starves all the gods of the earth. Then all the distant coasts and islands of the nations will bow and worship to him, each in its own place. You Cushites will also be slain by my sword. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a desolate ruin, dry as the desert. Herds will lie down in the middle of it, every kind of wild animal. Both eagle owls and herons will roost in the capitals of its pillars. Their calls will sound from the window, but devastation will be on the threshold, for he will expose the cedar work. This is the jubilant city that lives in security, that thinks to herself, I exist, there's no one else. What a desolation she has become, a place for wild animals to lie down. Everyone who passes by her scoffs and shakes his fist. Woe to the city that is rebellious and defiled, the oppressive city. She has not obeyed, she has not accepted discipline, she has not trusted in the Lord, she has not drawn near to her God. The princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves of the night, which leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary. They do violence to instruction. The righteous Lord is in her. He does no wrong. He applies his justice morning by morning. He does not fail at dawn. Yet the ones who does wrong knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their corner towers are destroyed. I have laid waste their streets, with no one to pass through. Their cities lie devastated without a person, without an inhabitant. I thought, you will certainly fear me except correction. Then her dwelling place would not be cut off based on all that allocated to her. However, they became more corrupt in all their actions. Therefore, wait for me. This is the Lord's declaration until the day I rise up for plunder. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, in order to pour out my indignation on them, 
all my burning anger, for the whole earth will be consumed by the fire of my jealousy. For I will then restore pure speech to the peoples, so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with a single purpose. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my supplicants, my dispersed peoples, will bring an offering to me. On that day, you will not be put to shame because of everything you have done in rebelling against me. For then I will remove from among you your jubilant, arrogant people, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. I will leave a meek and humble people among you. They will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will no longer do wrong or tell lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will pasture and lie down with nothing to make them afraid. Sing for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. I will gather those who have been driven from the appointed festivals. They will be a tribute from you and a reproach on her. Yes, at that time I will deal with all who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will make those who are disgraced throughout the earth receive praise and fame. At that time I will bring you back. Yes, at that time I will gather you. I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. The Lord has spoken. Wow. Just, you did a great job reading that, Jeff, with uh, the kind of passion that Zephaniah must have spoken it. And what you see in Zephaniah is much of the character of the Lord just on full display. You see the Lord's anger and his vengefulness against the sin of his people. As we've said, the people of, of Judah have gone so far that even all of his disciplines and all his rebukes from the prophets, they're just falling on deaf ears. And the Lord is saying in this book, I've had enough with, with my people. And so he's going to give them up. He also speaks of the nations, how the nations that oppress his people are going to be judged as well, and that his people are going to be judged like the other nations. But you also see the character of his compassion. You know, this book which begins with such strong language against sin and against people, you know, he's going to destroy them, wipe away humanity from the face of the earth. He ends on such a... a compassionate note, mm -hmm. that he's going to delight in his people. He's going to sing over them. He's going to be quiet in his love for them. And so you see the full display of God's character, both his wrath and his jealousy, but also his forgiveness and his compassion and his love. So I'm sure as we get through this book together, we'll, we'll kind of unpack that. And there's a lot to learn from, from the character of the Lord here. Mm-hmm. But we want to leave you, our listeners, with a challenge. We want you to read the book of Zephaniah on your own. It takes 10 minutes or less, and as you read it, do a flyover view to make your own observations about the book. What is the message? 
if you could outline it maybe in, into sections or segments, how would you break the book down? What themes do you find? Repeated words or phrases do you find in the book? So that's our challenge to you. Read the book of Zephaniah, and in the coming weeks, we'll unpack it chapter by chapter. Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today. Be back next week as we move into the more specific parts of our first section of Zephaniah. If there are questions or topics or books of the Bible you'd like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I'm glad I remembered. (laughs) Right. Yeah, when you paused there, I was like, I think it's my turn to say that. Or that's my... That's what I say every time, isn't it? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, okay. When you paused long enough, I was like, I guess I better jump in. (laughs) Thank you.